Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. This is the Word of God, and it is eternally true. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, give us submissive hearts to your word. Let us receive it from you, Father. Uh, Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're picking up with the second half of verse 4 through the end of this section, uh, verse 7. The first half of where we're entering in is talking about the positive side of being in subjection to authority. Verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4 say, do what is good and you will have praise from the same for it's a minister of God to you for good. (coughs) Then the second half of verse 4, we go to the negative side. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Now, in this context, we know what it is, to, what it says is to do what is evil, don't we? To do what is evil is many specific things, but specifically, it is to not obey the civil authority. And so whatever the civil authority says to do and we don't do, or whatever it says don't do that we do... This is doing what is evil. And that's what it's talking about. If you do what is evil, be afraid. So God says that if we are not obeying the civil authority, we're to be afraid. Be afraid, he says. He commands us to be afraid. What the Spirit of God is saying through the Apostle Paul here is that when a man, when you or I disobey our authorities by doing something that is evil, we should fear. We should be afraid. Why? Well, then it gives the answer. It says, because, (coughs) it says, because the authorities do not bear the sword for nothing. All right? Now, what would it be like to bear the sword for nothing? What would that look like? What would it look like if, for instance, contrary to what God says, The civil authorities bore the sword for nothing. What would that look like? Well, it would look like Barney Fife. 
You remember how Barney always carries a gun, but he never has a bullet. You remember that Sheriff Andy Griffith, he just keeps him from having a bullet because he can't trust him with a bullet. So Barney pulls out his gun. There's no bullet. All right. He bears the gun for nothing. Okay. Bearing the sword for nothing would look like a tin or plastic soldier that little boys play with who carry tin or plastic guns. It would look like museum exhibits of Davy Crockett that are behind glass and he's carrying a wooden rifle. The world is filled with guns that are for nothing. Squirt guns, tin guns, museum exhibit guns, wooden guns, air rifles, guns firing blanks and artillery pieces that have been spiked. Matter of fact, you could almost say that in the Western world today, all civil authorities' swords and guns are for nothing. You could almost say that the most intense rejection we have of the authority of the civil authority today is the intense rejection of them using their gun. But God says they don't carry the sword, and by extension today, they don't carry the gun for nothing. And who do they have the gun from? The authority is from God. The authority is established by God. The authority is ordained by God. God gave them the gun. Their authority through a sword and through a gun is from God. That's the whole meaning of the text here. They've been given the sword. Who's given them the sword? God has. Now, what is the gun for? Well, there are lesser purposes and uses than capital punishment, than execution, than death. For instance, the very appearance of the sword accomplishes fear and causes sane men to stop when the man carrying the gun says stop. All right? Just the appearance of the gun causes you to stop. The appearance of the sword causes you to not do what you're inclined to do that would anger the one with the sword. Then, too, the sword can accomplish something less than capital punishment. The sword can cut off a hand or an arm. The sword can be used in, a, in the flat of the blade to give you a hard whack that doesn't cut you. It can give you bruises, right? Like a, like a law enforcement officer's baton. Okay. So it's not that the sword only has one purpose, which is to execute. But the sword accomplishes lesser injury, and the, the sword, even in its symbolization, accomplishes things by making you fear. Okay? Now, <clears throat> I want to make it very clear that as we look at different authorities, the reason we know here that this text is dealing primarily with civil authority is because it talks about the sword. What authority is given 
capital punishment by God, the civil magistrate. I'm going to ask it again. What authority is given capital punishment by God, the civil magistrate, the civil authority, the ruler, the governor? He's given that by God, all right? Is the father and mother of a household given capital punishment over their children? I'm going to ask it again. Does the father or the mother, or together, do they have the authority of capital punishment of their children? Are you sure about this? What did they say at Rome? In Rome, they said he does. He is the potent one, okay? And he can kill his children. Did they do this in Rome? Yes, that's why the Christians were known for picking up the infants that were exposed on the hillsides of Rome. The father had absolute authority, life of death, over his children. Now, let me ask another question. What about church authorities? Do church authorities have the authority of capital punishment over the members of the church? No, they don't. What authority do church authorities have? Well, Hebrews 13, 17, as this is the classic location, the classic text to deal with civil authority, so Hebrews 13 is the classic, one of two classic texts to deal with church authority. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your what? Souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So church authorities are to be obeyed because they keep watch over your souls. So you can basically say civil authorities keep watch over your body. Church authorities keep watch over your soul. But is that true? No, not really, because if I see that your wife has bruises on her face and I'm your pastor, or I see that your child has a problem with continence, what am I going to do? I'm going to talk to you. Your, your child, your wife's bodies have indicated to me that, that you or a child of yours is oppressing your children. And so the very physical vulnerability of bodies in this church is part of the key uh, leadership and authority that we exercise over you, right? I mean, we all understand it's not just your soul. We're going to protect your body and the body of your family, right? But now move over to the civil authority. Is the civil authority just concerned for the bodies of its subjects? No. Because when you protect children's bodies from abuse, what are you doing? You're also protecting children from child corruptors. You're not just protecting their body, you're protecting their soul. Are you with me? And so there's intermingling between church authorities, home authorities, and civil authorities in the, 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 the relative proportion of being concerned for body and soul which at that point in the first service I said, 
John Coltrane, but I should have said Miles Davis. Body and soul. Oh, my goodness. I'm in Bloomington, and they don't get it. Buy the music and listen to it. It's great. Now, I just read to you the classic text on church authority, but here is another one. This may be the real classic. This is Matthew 16, 19. Jesus is saying this to Peter. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So God has delegated the power of the keys to the church leaders. And the church leaders hold the keys to heaven, to the kingdom of God, so that what they bind here on earth has been bound in heaven, what they loose has been loosed in heaven. So you look at those two texts taken together, Jesus delegating the power of the keys, and then the apostle commanding that God's people submit to those who keep watch over their souls. And there is absolutely no way for us to say that we will not put ourselves under the authority of the elders of a church. And this is something that my entire life I have seen endlessly among the most conservative Christians. Most conservative Christians, their natural inclination is to be critical of and condemn any exercise of authority on the part of their pastors, elders, and their wives. You all know Mary Lee, right? Right? You all know my wife, Mary Lee, right? Right? And you know that she has taken care of a lot of women while they're giving birth. And, and you know that women giving birth are vulnerable. And you know if most of the women of this church would be happy to have my wife there, those women are not concerned about my wife being an oppressor, Right? So how do you think I respond when I have some high school punk complaining to his dad and mom about my wife? And you say, well, she's not an officer. Oh, she isn't. Seriously. My wife isn't an officer. So that must mean my wife has no authority in this church. Is that right? You know, if I want to get something accomplished, I'll first go to Max. Then maybe Lucas. Maybe Brian. But if it's with women and children, who do you think I go to? One of the problems with the church today is we don't understand the relationship of men and women. And we don't understand that men discipline men, but primarily women should discipline women. That's the meaning of Titus 2. That's why Titus 2 says older women teach younger women. And what are you supposed to teach? You're supposed to teach them to submit to their husbands, to love their children, and to be busy at home. That's the word of God. And so Mary Lee has authority in this church. She's not an officer. She doesn't think she is. She doesn't want to be. 
should Mary Lee be treated with respect? I mean, even if Mary Lee hadn't won the hearts of the women and children of this church, she should be treated with respect because she's my wife. Right? Do you remember what I was saying before I went off on Mary Lee? I was saying that I've spent my life watching the most conservative Christians bicker and whine and complain and accuse pastors and deacons and elders and their wives. We never understand you. We never understand your children. (laughs) We don't understand marriage. We don't understand what it is to cut down trees for a living. We don't understand the military. We don't understand the courts. We don't understand nowhere nothing. We're so stupid. And you say, well, I've not said that to you. And I I say, (laughs) okay. Nobody's ever said that to me. We don't understand what we don't understand that you understand that we don't understand. I mean, we don't even understand what you really meant when you were explaining to us that we didn't understand. I had a conversation with a young man yesterday, and I brought up something that I was concerned about with him. He quickly explained to me I didn't understand. And I mean, this happens to me all the time. I finally gotten to the point, I mean, it's like once a week. I just say to people, yeah, I'm 68 and I'm so stupid. I just don't have a clue what's really going on with you and your wife. I mean, honestly, have any of you ever worked on a trap under a sink? You know what they look like, right? They come down and then they go up and over, right? You know that, right? It's not rocket science. You screw it counterclockwise to go off, clockwise to go on. It's not a vacuum cleaner. Vacuum cleaners are the opposite. Okay? Did you know that? Hoses of vacuum cleaners. Check it out. Okay. I, I know it's not um, complimentary to you, but your marriage... Okay? It's not complicated. It's like that trap under a sink. Counterclockwise, clockwise, take it off, empty it out, then the sink will drain. That's about how complicated your marriage is. Now, I know that you're, you're thinking I'm an idiot right now, and I am. And I know I'm using exaggeration. But honestly, people, authorities, whether they're judges, law enforcement officers, public health officers, pastors, elders, fathers, and mothers, authorities aren't actually stupid. Rebellion is pretty boring. You know, if we were to ask Denver to describe to us how difficult it is to get Tim Bailey to come in for his appointments. You know, I'm not rocket science. I'm just a guy that doesn't like going to doctors. My wife's been hassling me for a year and three months to go see an ENT because I keep losing this right ear. A year and a third. So tomorrow, guess what? I'm going to go see an ENT, (laughs) you know? 
is this complicated? Is my rebellion something that you should write a thesis on? I don't want to submit myself to a doctor. Anybody understand that? Okay. We are not complicated. And that's why scripture does not fill up Romans 13, 1 to 7, with all the permutations of our excuses for why what it says is wrong or needs to be qualified. It's not interested in stroking our rebellion. It's interested in meeting it head on and saying, no, bad boy, down boy, down, don't do that. And the dog's yapping because he can see the man behind us holding a gun to our head about to shoot us. And he's trying to warn us, you know. And we say, down, boy, down. And you say, well, that's a bad analogy. The dog should bark, even though you're telling it to be quiet because he's trying to protect you from the guy with the gun behind you. And I say, oh, so you want me to talk about the exception to the rule, right? Right? COVID isn't it. COVID is not the exception. COVID isn't the exception. And you say, well, but they didn't get it right. And I say, well, did did the pastor get it right the last time you were in the office with him getting marriage counseling? (laughs) Did he get it right? I could probably go around this room and about half of you could tell me of times that I've gotten it wrong. Have you ever seen an idiot use a sledgehammer? Any of you ever seen somebody who is completely clueless use a sledgehammer? It is the most awful sight in the world. And it's even awfuler if you're holding something that they're hitting. And this is why at Chicago Northwestern, we had three tools, a welder, a torch, and a sledgehammer. Four, a come along. (laughs) Those were the only tools on the railroad. I'm exaggerating. This is why when we had something that needed to be hit with a sledgehammer, guess who we called? We didn't call the Hispanics. We didn't call... The, uh, the guys that rode the choppers, you know, the motorcycle gang guys. We didn't call the Howleys, that was me, the cracker, the white dude. We called the Serbo-Croatians, who had been in the resistance, because they never missed. Do you have pastors who never miss with you? Do we always get it right with you? No. Is your standard for your pastor in counseling and preaching that we get it right every time? If you require your husband or your wife to get it right every time, if you're a child and you require this of your parents, you do not submit to authority. You have no submission in you. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, because of the interlapping nature of home authority, civil authority, and church authority. 
there are more spheres, but there, there's sort of three spheres of authority. And church authority doesn't have capital punishment. It doesn't have corporal punishment. Home authority has corporal punishment. Scripture commands you to spank your children. Okay? It's a command, and so you can always know that you're doing what is right when you spank your children because it says they will not surely die. Use the rod and keep them from hell. That's what Scripture says. You say, well, you don't know my husband. My husband loses his temper and spanks them. I say, okay, the modern morbid habit of sacrificing the normal on the altar of the abnormal. Or, okay, so you as a mother are convinced that the improper use of a tool invalidates its proper use. Come on, grow up. One swallow doth not a summer make. Spank your children. As a parent, you're given corporal but not capital punishment. Are you with me? In the church, submit to the pastors, the elders, the deacons, and their wives, the older women, because they keep watch over your souls. Are you with me? Now, are they given corporal punishment? No. Are they given capital punishment? No. What is their tool? Their tool is barring you from the Lord's table. That's the keys that they have. Their tool is something I refer to as moral suasion. All right? Now, can we please move over to the civil authority? The civil authority is given moral suasion. The civil authority is actually given corporal punishment. Because it would make no sense for the civil authority to be given capital punishment if it doesn't have corporal punishment and moral suasion. I mean, it would be stupid for the civil authority to only have capital punishment. Oh, you did not put money in the parking meter. (laughs) Off with your head! Now, the minute I say off with your head, all of us are thinking, yikes, he's not going to go off on capital punishment, is he? And I say, yeah, I am. I'm going to go off on capital punishment. You know that we know that God has given capital punishment to the civil authority because it says it here. It says what? If you do what is evil, be afraid, verse 4, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. Who's given the civil authority the sword? God. Is there any other classic text that we can cite that proves this? Yes, Genesis. God says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God he created him. Okay, okay. John Murray, in his commentary on Romans, goes off here about the problem with what we think today about Punishment in general by the civil authority, and specifically capital punishment. And we know why he goes off on it. Because there is complete incompatibility 
between what Scripture says here about God and the civil authority and what even Christians today believe. The Pope. Everybody's against capital punishment today. Everyone. And yet right here it says that God has given the sword to the civil authority. And he said he doesn't bear the sword for nothing. In other words, it's not symbolic. I always tell parents, do not ever give a symbolic spanking to your child. The point of it is to hurt them. (laughs) Don't symbolize pain. Give it. It makes the child so much more honest. I mean, have you seen these children having to act like they're hurt and crying when they're not hurt and they're not really crying? But they want their mother to feel like she's done something. You haven't seen this? Oh, my wife and I have seen it our whole lives. The sword of the civil authority is not symbolic. And that means it's given for execution and not simply for broadside, flat side slap, not simply for arm, hand, and not simply to represent the potential. Okay. And God also says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by his man shall his blood be shed. What we have here is a clear statement from God that the civil authority is to execute individuals. He's given the sword by God for that, and specifically is to execute those who kill human beings made in God's own image and likeness. All right, we're all there. We all know that's the clear meaning of the text. Now, how then do we go all squirrely on it, all weaselly on it? Well, you know that one of the ways we do that is to begin to talk about the fact that capital punishment is meted out in a way that is, uh, that there is a larger proportion of those people of color who receive the death sentence and those people who are white. And we all know that death rows, hey, let's slow down everybody in and out. You're like making me, um, I'm wondering whether I'm, something's going on outside of the sanctuary that I don't know about. I've been waiting to say this for a couple of months. If your dad puts you in a car and there was a 16-hour trip. And 20 minutes after you were put in the car, you got up to go to the bathroom. Yikes. It's not a good look, is it? Your children can actually wait for an hour before asking Dad to stop the car. Are you all with me? All right, I'm done. (laughs) Don't worry, I love everybody. All right, now, again, remember the statement that the improper use of a thing does not invalidate its proper use. Can we all agree that there is some likelihood that capital punishment is being used in an improper way if you have a vastly disproportionate number of people of color who are executed? Now, some very conservative people here even want to argue that point. 
but most of us are reasonable. And most of us would say that we're not comfortable with the fact that it's mostly people of color who are executed. Otherwise, it would also be wrong to execute men because men are disproportionately executed. But we're not going to say that. Although men are oppressed today. In other words, look, you have an explanation for every one of your rebellions. Every single time you think you shouldn't have to wear a mask, you shouldn't have to wear a seatbelt, you shouldn't have to put money into the parking meter, you should not have to listen to the pastor, you shouldn't have to have his wife talking to your children. Every single time you come up with reasons why you're the exception to the rule of being as being submissive and being subject to authority, all you're doing is showing that you absolutely have no respect for God. And that you do not fear him and that you do not submit to his authority. And you say, wait a second, that was a jump. I say, no, it wasn't a jump. It was a necessary conclusion. You say, no, 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 no. I submit to God, but just because you tell me to do something doesn't make you God. I say, okay, let's, let's step aside from Tim Bailey for a second, okay? I'm sort of uncomfortable. Let's talk about, say, John. Now, John is a law enforcement officer, right? So would you say that John, when he pulls you over, like, for instance, my wife, you know, you're driving out Pete Ellis Drive onto East Third, West Third, or East Third Street, but you're heading west, and you're about to get to the main intersection where the bypass meets College Mall Road, right? You all know that there. And because she stops at the stop sign at Pete Ellis Drive and looks to the left, and there's no car coming, she doesn't completely stop. I mean, it's a huge van. And it takes a lot of gas to bring it from a stop, She's saving fuel, carbon emissions, you know, and she meant well. And so he pulls her over, and, but he has to wait until she gets to Mustard's, you know, because he can't pull her over in the middle of the intersection. So she pulls it, he comes up to the car, and he says, do, do you think maybe you didn't stop at that stop sign back there? And Mary Lee says, well... There were no cars coming. He said, did, so did you not stop? She said, well, I, I can completely, like, totally believe that I didn't stop, you know. And he says, can I see your driver's license? She goes to her purse, there's no driver's license. She'd left it, now this happened years ago, but she'd left it in a store because she had to have a driver's license to get a check. Cashed, right? So then he says, uh, I'm sorry, I can't help notice that you don't have your safety belt on. <laughs> and Mary Lee says, yeah, 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 I can totally believe that. <laughs> she didn't say that that time. She just shut up. Then he looks in the back and sees Hannah or somebody, and either they weren't in a booster seat or they didn't, I don't know what it was, but there was some problem with the child in the next row back. So what does he have? Running a stop sign, not wearing a seatbelt, 
not restraining your child and driving without a license. Okay? What? Should Mary Lee argue with him that she's a good person? Should she explain to him that what he really should be out there trying to find are the people that are like robbing and killing? Should she give him a lecture on Planned Parenthood? You you get what I'm saying. It's like, now I will put you out of your misery and tell you that at that point he looked at her and he said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I'm just going to leave. And Mary was sitting there thinking, leave. What does he mean, leave? He turns around, gets in his car, drives away. (laughs) Oh, I think he said, you know, I can see that you're not a threat to society. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I wish I was pretty. That's a true story, right, Mary Lee? She's nodding her head, yes. So after last week's sermon, I was in a, uh, I was at the Dragon down by the old post office getting some takeout at four o'clock in the afternoon, a bunch of it. And uh, I was sitting there waiting for it, and all of a sudden this homeless guy, now remember, keep up with it. it. We're now calling them unhoused. Be aware, it's changed, because a home is where the heart is. And so we're not calling them homeless anymore, because that would be heartless. We're calling them unhoused now. This guy comes in, proceeds to use obscenities, is threatening everybody in the restaurant. He places two bags down in front of the door, and then he stands there and uses obscenities and just tries to intimidate everybody in this tiny little place. If you've been there, it's tiny. Okay? And I was going to buy him lunch, but I realized I'd given my last dollar bill. I did not have a penny on me, and they only take cash. But then, when I heard him and saw what he was doing, he would never have gotten lunch from me. He was obscene. He was threatening. He was furious. He was doing everything he could to oppress everyone around with his temper, with not knowing whether he was going to fly into a rage, right? But I was maybe from here, to, from here to the speaker, from him, or from here to the mic. And I just, you know, I mean, what's he going to do? I've got gray hair, you know. Then all of a sudden, he starts talking about going over and making this, the restaurant give him food. So he goes over to the cashier. Well, now I'm a little bit on alert because, and then I hear this sweet Chinese woman over at the cash register going, no, no, don't, don't, no. (laughs) I may be 68 years old. (laughs) And so I'm up out of my chair turning around to see what's going on. And I see him, he's halfway across the store and he's got his hands on my food and he's stolen it. My food. (laughs) And I'm like, so I get up and I walk over to him and I'm, you know, I got about 100 pounds on him. You know, I'm not going to tell you how much I weigh, but about 100. And I take the bags from him, but he holds on to him. He won't give me the bags. I said, wait. I said, you're stealing my food. You will not steal my food. And he's like in a rage, 
obscenities, aggressive. And I think, okay, I know what I'm going to do. So I go over to the door and I pick up his bags, right? And, and I, I turn around and I say, okay, fine, you can have that. I'll keep yours. Well, immediately he, he gives me mine because he wants his. I knew that would be the case. You know, they're not really unhoused. It's just very small houses, you know. (laughs) Okay, so that's the setup for this. I then left the restaurant and I called my favorite law enforcement officer from Bloomington and I said to him, John, would you like me to file charges, to press charges against this man? He stole my food. Well, John is very apologetic. But he basically says to me, you know, knock your socks off if you want to, but nothing's going to happen. The courts are not going to do anything to him. And, and I said, well, John, don't feel bad about that. I didn't want to do it. I just wanted to do it if it would be helpful to the enforcement of law in our country because it just grieves me to think of Chinese moving to this town and working day and night in a tiny little space and a woman having some disgusting detritus of white society oppressing her. Okay, y'all with me. Who's the real oppressor? We live in a day when everything is upside down. Good is evil, evil is good, right is wrong, and wrong is right. And that that dear woman, and she is dear, any of you go there? You know I'm saying it's true. If you want to see the nicest cars in Bloomington, go and order takeout from that restaurant. Trust me. She was very, very sweet to me after that and put in extra uh, spring rolls and wrote thank you on the top of the carton. I'd already given her a good tip, people. We have all our reasons why we don't have to have the love of Christ. I have said again and again and again that when the Bible commands us to be kind to the sojourner that lives in our midst, that includes workers who have no green card. I keep telling you this. Am I supposed to give tips to people who have a green card and not to people who don't? Should I even order any food in any Mexican restaurant in this town? I mean, who do you think is taking care of you? And you say, well, you're just getting done talking about authority, and we should submit to authority, and we have rules as a nation, and they've broken the rules. And so we as Christians should follow the rules by, okay, all right, by not going to the restaurants, not allowing them to cut our grass. Well, that's just the economy. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go ahead and benefit financially from people who are undocumented workers, and then you have high principles when it comes to the election and President Trump. Come on. We always end up coming out benefiting from our rebellion when we rebel and from our submission when we submit. That's the extent of our honoring authority today. It depends on which way the wind's blowing. So I got done talking to John, and I mean, how many of you love having the fact that John is paid by our taxes? Oh, I love that. I mean, honestly. And then he says, oh, by the way, he says, I wanted to tell you a story. He said, you know, last week you were talking about submitting to authority and how none of us submit to authority. He said, when I first got a job with the Bloomington Police Department, he said, I needed extra money, so I signed up for overtime. And he said, the problem is with overtime, all you do the entire time is you write tickets for not having your safety belt on. And he said, it's the lowest fine that there is. It's only $25. But he said, do you know that I have arrested men for attempted murder who were much nicer than anybody I gave a ticket to for not having a safety belt on. He said, finally, one day, I'm giving a ticket to an older gentleman who's in his car out of the rain, and it's pouring rain, and I'm wet. And he's just ranting and raving against me for giving him a ticket for not wearing a safety belt. And he said, when that one was over, I went home, and I've never done it over time since. I thought, you can't pay me enough to take the abuse that I get. And he's talking about this. And some of you who are my family and probably the crumbs, you know what I was thinking when he was saying this to me. (laughs) And Rachel. (laughs) I'm sitting there blushing. (laughs) Oh, that's awful, John. (laughs) You know, oh, I'm so sorry you took such abuse from people. I did not say I would never do that. (laughs) As a matter of fact, what I went on to say is, that sounds exactly like me, John. If you do not submit to those authorities that God has ordained, you did not submit to God. Do you hear me? And you say, well, would you please qualify that statement? Do you think people should wear masks while they're singing in corporate worship? And my response is to say, I ain't going to answer it. You say, well, why not? It's a legitimate question. I say, no, it isn't. You say, why not? I say, because you've been belligerating against everything COVID-related for two years. And you think I'm going to agree with you about anything? You're just a rebel. Why would one discuss conscientious objection when somebody has no conscience? (laughs) Right? I mean, you know what I'm saying. You want to take over for a while. (laughs) 
You know, I was thinking about that with this text because look at what it says, people. It says this. It says, It does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Now, we all know what all the belligerators about COVID have been saying from the very beginning. What has been their main statement? They've been saying, you're binding my conscience. This says, obey the civil authority for your conscience sake. You remember Goebbels, the big lie. (laughs) Here's an idea. Let's make it that rebellion is protecting your conscience. Oh, that's sweet. I mean, you get it. You get it, right? To do it for conscience sake is to protect your conscience against violating what you know God has commanded. And so you obey partly because you don't want your head lopped off by a sword, but you more obey because you don't want to have a bad conscience before God. You see that. And yet the belligerators against masks have said that they're doing it to protect conscience. Oh my goodness. For conscience sake. And they spout off God alone as Lord of the conscience as if that statement was ever given by the Westminster, ever given by anybody in church history as a justification for rebellion against civil authority. Now it was sometimes, but you get the weight. It comes from texts like this, and the whole weight of it here is that you submit to civil authority for the sake of your conscience because God has ordained it. God has established it. God has given it the sword. And you may die if you violate their law. But even if you don't die, you should obey them for the sake of your conscience before God. Right? Let me read to you. The Apostle Paul in Acts 23 says, he looked intently at the Jewish council and he said, brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. And 1 Timothy 1.5, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience. And then 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourself, what? For the Lord's sake. That's the conscience, right? Going back to the issue of capital punishment, you know, we say that, you know, you you shouldn't use it when you have a disproportionate number of men as opposed to women or people of color as opposed to Howie's, White's, Crackers. And I say... When has justice ever been meted out in a way that is fair? Remember, he's writing the Roman Empire, Rome under Nero. Was Nero fair? Let me ask another question. Would you trust Nero with a sword? 
that's who he's commanding in the name of God. Now, I want to make another point here. He says, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Why does God give the sword to the civil magistrate? And what we all say is, well, okay, even if it wasn't, even if capital punishment wasn't given in a way that is disproportionate among people of color and white people, among men, among the rich, among the poor, all these other things, we shouldn't do capital punishment because it's been proven that it doesn't prevent what? It doesn't prevent recidivism. I say, oh yeah, it does. Because he's he done dead. It perfectly prevents recidivism. You say, "Oh, you know what I mean." What what you what what I really mean is it it doesn't prevent repeat offenses. In other words, if you execute this guy, it does not keep this guy from killing. And I say, "Well, if you kept ten years of appeals from intervening between conviction and." the fulfillment of the sentence, it might. And you say, well, yeah, but even so, isn't the whole purpose of the penal system to change the person? You know, isn't it really to uh, help a, a person to become more integrated emotionally, more in control of his faculties, less likely to kill other people or to oppress them? I mean, the whole point of our penal system is to restore somebody to be a productive member of society. You all with me? But listen to what it says. It says, it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who does evil. What happened to our understanding of the civil authority being the one who avenges the justice of God and who brings God's wrath to bear on the person who does evil? Do we even have that in our brains today? That it is central to the purposes of civil authority. And what really gets me is, we deny that that is anything that the civil magistrate is supposed to do. We can't even conceive of him bringing wrath and avenging in the name of God. Right? We can't even conceive of it. And yet, when it comes to the evening, we watch Westerns. And the whole point of a Western is wrath and vengeance. And again and again and again, we have guilty pleasures for entertainment as long as it never comes into real life. And my favorite of that is going and watching an opera at IU. And I'm like inundated with every form of sexual perversion and working with the people of my church. And I go to the opera they're in. And guess what? The man, the woman. <laughs> it's like you go to an opera and male and female is clear. I mean, the whole basis of the opera is male and female. But then in real life, it's like we're all over the place. And so the same thing is true when it comes to vengeance and wrath. 
You don't tell me that you don't appreciate seeing the wrath of God meted out on those who have oppressed others. Don't you even try to tell me that. Now, God sets up authority. God commands us to submit to it. That authority is his authority. If we don't submit to it, we're rebelling against him. God has required capital punishment. He doesn't require capital punishment because it's effective. He requires it first and foremost because it honors his perfections, his attributes. It is the expression of his wrath and retribution. Okay? God knows that the authorities he put over us are sinners. There is no other authority. All authority is sinful. God will hold the sinful authorities that inappropriately use their authority and their sword accountable. All right? It is God's commitment to vindicate justice. Every word, every idle word will be brought to account, let alone an an oppressive sword. You are to do this not just because you fear the authority to sort. You're to do it for what? Conscience sake. That's the higher reason. These things are clear now, right? They're clear to us all, right? Now, I will end by bringing something up that you've been waiting for me to bring up. In Lafayette right now is a law that is in the process of being passed that is going to penalize Christians $1,000 a day for saying to their children, the children of their church, covenant children, that from the beginning he made them male and female. That's what is going to be passed by Lafayette. They have explicitly excluded those who are licensed professionals from this law. They're going after the common people, which is Christians. It is illegal to talk to any minor child who may, like, be channeling Prince. (laughs) Or maybe, like, you know, Queen. Or Bowie. Or that monstrosity with the last name Jenner. Okay? It happens in the church. You have children that as they grow up, both boys and girls who begin to manifest the opposite sex in a way that's inappropriate. This is what you have. You have to teach them to be men and women. Sin comes naturally, not righteousness. (laughs) You know? Listen to the podcast from this last week on Raising Teenagers, number four. We spend an hour on that, okay? You have to teach them. In Lafayette, it will be against the law. You will be punishable. You are punishable up to a fine of $1,000 a day. Now, let me ask you, should the Christians in Lafayette submit to that law? (laughs) Okay? Yikes. And you say, oh man, you just had me in the palm of your hand. Now you've just blown the whole ship up. (laughs) 
And I say, yeah, I know, it's blowing up in my brain too. Because I think that the answer is no, never, never, never submit to that law. Never. And you say, well, so what, it's wrong? I say, yeah. You say, well, what about your conscience? And I say, my, my conscience done be bound. You say, by what? And I say, by the word of God. In the beginning, he made them male and female. You say, well, you could come up with a similar argument for everything. Okay, are you ready for this? This is radical, okay? I would not submit to Lafayette. You're, you all with me? Most of you, you're probably with me, right? You, you with me? Eric, are you sort of with me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Eric's with me. Everybody's with me. Okay. That is not COVID. I mean, honestly, that's not COVID. It's not. It's a very deep, sophisticated point, isn't it? Come on, people. If you're not going to demonstrate some modicum of submission and respect for authority with COVID, would you please tell me where you're going to do it? John Albertson's already said we don't do it with seatbelts. It's real quiet here now, so I'm going to, this is the end. I think we need to sing. But any of you that want to punch me or talk to me or whatever, I'm up for it right afterwards. And I won't punch you back. I'll love you. But people, come on, for heaven's sakes. Can we please submit to authority? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do find it so difficult to be told what speed to go, when to wear seatbelts, how to use booster seats, when to put masks on. We didn't like our mother washing our cheeks. We didn't like our dad. Pretty much anything he told us to do. We don't like our pastor talking to us or our elders or deacons or their wives. And yet, Father, we know that we're to fear you. And we know you've established these authorities, and so we do repent. But we're a piece of work. Would you help us to see our rebellion? Would you help us, by the power of your Spirit, to root it out, and to root it out of our children before they grow up to become like us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.